0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by PASTA Sustainable Agriculture. Register now for PASA's 2024 conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Don't miss over 70 educational sessions on farming and food systems, plus an expansive trade show. Learn more at pasafarming.org hrn2024. We talk about food.
3: We talk about music. With musical dudes.
4: Finger on the pulse. Snacky tune.
1: Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. Happy New Year, and I know that by the time this episode airs, we will already have passed the Larry David date cutoff for saying that, but we want to wish you one nonetheless. We are kicking off 2024 with our good buddy, Fermin Nunez. You may know him from Suerte and Este and Bartotti you've been to Austin, you've seen him around. He's a great chef and an even better guy. We talk about his childhood in Mexico, learning how to cook when he came to the States, and what brought him back to Austin after his travels in Europe. It's a great conversation, and we're so excited to have him as our first guest of the year. Then we head into the archives for a live performance by Native Son, fueled by their obsession with rock legends, the Rolling Stones, and Velvet Underground, The quartet built an incredible following as one of New York City's best bands. They were there to celebrate their forthcoming EP, Songs Born from Love and Hate. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN.
4: Alright, now baby, trying to get it all inside your brain now. It's a reflection. We'll say, this is pleasure you have got.
1: Happy New Year. Welcome Snacky Tunes. It's January 2nd, which means you were the first person I'm talking to this year, and I couldn't be happier. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, man. Thank you so much for having me. Happy happy New Year. It is the second day of 2024. It's wild that we're here. Um, I'm sure you're just like me. I'm sure you did a lot of cooking and and eating and, and sipping on New Year's. What was on your table? Were you at the restaurant? Did you have a big party? What did you do
5: so this this year at the restaurants um we we have three we have suerte we had Est, we have este and then we have bartotti uh it was the first year in a long time that i haven't been at the past in new year's eve and it was mm. it was fun it was different um uh, because i mean when we opened este our second restaurant that's the moment i realized that i can't be everywhere at once
4: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
5: And usually for New Year's Eve at Suerte, we would do like a special tasting menu, right? So like it was a different style menu and something that we didn't do every day. Um, and I love being in the past and and it was great. But it was also like it was the the it was the hardest services we have ever had at Suerte were on New Year's Eve because it was a thing that we don't do every day. So this year we decided to just do normal menu with a few specials. Uh, mm. And I coordinated with the chef de cuisines at each restaurant and uh, we tried them prior to that. And I was just kind of bouncing around all the restaurants, checking in, uh, and filling in the gaps as needed. Uh, so that was like the first year where it felt weird, where I like wasn't with the kitchen, but I was at all the kitchens. Um, and it was, yeah. it was fun, but it was like
1: I was I was out of the restaurant by like 10 p.m. It was. Yeah. It was yeah. It's like you go to your clubhouses that you built. And then you go to your real house and then you're like, yeah. I'm going to chill at home with my friends and family. It sounds, I mean, it sounds pretty nice. It, it, it definitely didn't suck. Uh, <laughs>
5: Personally, <laughs> it's like, I think that's a lot of what I'm finding out now professionally. Of like, I I thrive when I am needed more. Wow. That is, uh, did you hear that? Yes, we picked it up, but it's totally fine. Uh, it's the washer. Do you want me to turn it off or no, just It's fine. Keep going? Just keep going. Oh, uh, well, that's funny. Um, but yeah, at, at the the restaurant now it's like I'm not on the schedule anymore. I'm not relied on the day to day until you know like a bunch of people get sick and then I have to jump in. So it's like yeah, it's it's weird to be around when I'm not needed and just kind of like looking at things. Um, and I'm getting used to that. And New Year's Eve was was another way of 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 doing that in a very special night for for all the restaurants.
1: I mean that's great, and especially since you can empower people and share the, share the responsibility and, you know, pop in where you need it as you said, but then also let other people shine. It's a, it's a, it's a big thing. Um, I want to go back a little bit before we talk about the restaurants, because you grew up in Northern Mexico. Um, Who did the cooking? What were some of the dishes you grew up with? Were you in the kitchen helping or, you know, was food just a thing that was just part of daily life?
5: Uh, it's funny to talk about this. I, I grew up in Northern Mexico, uh, Torreon, um, uh, shockingly, I was a very picky eater. Uh, hmm. as a kid. I, I never got curious about being in the kitchen. Uh, my family loves to, to tell the, the story over every single Christmas of like, um, uh, every, every Sunday we would like go out to restaurants after, yeah. Their church as a family uh and when we would have uh a lot of friends over and and family we would go to the one chinese restaurant in in torreon Hmm. uh, and i hated that food uh (laughs) and and they i would throw such a big fit that we would have to go to mcdonald's get a happy meal and then
1: go oh you were that kid
5: go go to the, the chinese restaurant so i would like just be chill and and you know like Um, I was always a kid that like when, when they were making picadillo at my house, um, I would, uh, throw another big fit if, if they didn't just do the ground beef with salt and pepper and set it aside and then put everything else after they set my, my portion aside. Uh, so it was really shocking for my family when I was like 17, 18 and I told them that I wanted to go into cooking.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty shocking. Um, that you would wind up having multiple restaurants if that was your base. Cause many times you're like, well, I got the kitchen and my grandmother cooked and my father cooked and the family cooked and things like that. Um, you know, with Texas as your Northern border, cause I know you went to school in San Antonio and Houston. Mm-hmm. What was your relationship with America growing up or your perspective on it? Did you have any with it? Um, do you know that you eventually want to go work there or was it just something that, you know, Here's another place just, you know, I didn't think much about America.
5: No, I mean, I think growing up in northern Mexico, like it's it's you're so close to America mm-hmm. that you're constantly going through, you know, like mm. we would do as a family a trip like once or twice a year to go shopping for clothing because it was cheaper and better quality products that you would get in America. So like mm. there was always some sort of like I was always attached to America and sure. I was always looked upon the place that like things just run better uh that side of the Hmm. border you know um and then when i started getting older and you know because you're totally supposed to know what you want to do with the rest of your life when you're in high school and you're 17 turning 18 uh i i didn't know what i wanted to do i thought i wanted to pursue um a career in cinematography uh but i knew i had to go to college and um college in mexico was really not like um something that was in the cards for me. I don't know why. I just I think is like growing up and going to the States a lot back and forth. Um I just looked at it as like, well it's 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 normal that I'm gonna go to college in, in Texas, right? So I applied mm. to UTSA. Um and and that's where I actually started getting into cooking because um for you know the later teenage years of my life, I was I I, I wasn't as picky either. Uh, I wasn't into cooking at home, but I was into eating a lot out. Um so what was normal right. of like eating tacos, eating barbacoa, carnitas, all those things that were just like super normal. Um it was it was fun for me to eat that and then I go to college and I realize that I have no idea how to cook. Um and that's kind right. of like how the whole cooking came came together when I started like figuring out like how do I make rice? How do I make
1: yeah, you know, all of a sudden someone is making it for you and you're like Oh, I miss all the food I that's, grew up that's with. That's exactly how it happened. Yeah. Uh, and then I, mean, I realized – The last thing my mom taught me like the day or two before I went to college, she took me to a supermarket and she's like, here's how the melons are ripe. Here's how you shop for food. And I was like, oh, OK, OK, OK. That's how you pick out a cantaloupe. All right, all right, all right. And
5: it's, it's crazy all the things that you take for granted <laughs> growing up and then when it's yeah. your time to be an adult, it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is life.
1: This is the rest of life. So, listen, it's one thing to be cooking for yourself um, at U2 San Antonio. It's quite another thing to be like, I like it enough to go to the Art Institute in Houston. What made that jump? What was that, that pivotal churn for you?
5: So, uh, at college, I, I enjoyed Everything about college, except the studying part. I love the partying. I love mm. the meeting people, and, and <laughs> I quickly realized that it was like going to be the the most expensive party I've ever been to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and somewhere along those lines, I turned on the TV one day, and Alton Brown was um, on the Food Network. It was a, like an, a very special episode because it was a behind the scenes of how they make uh, the show, and and I didn't know what the Food Network was. I was just like, oh, this is like a show that tells you how to make shows. And then I thought that the food, like, I didn't know why why I thought this, but, like, I thought the Food Network was about, like, a behind-the-scenes uh, show kind of <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, and so I just kept going back to the Food Network. Then I uh, got interested in cooking. I stumbled upon uh, Anthony Bourdain, Kitchen Confidential. And yeah. I was like, man, this is a pirate life I've, I've been wanting to chase. Um I took a job at uh, my first kitchen job officially was at the dorm cafeteria of UTSA and I Good. loved it. Get in I there. It. Yeah. So then I was like, man, this is pretty cool. Uh I'm gonna pursue this as a, as a real career. Um so I went to get a tour of the culinary, I mean of the art institute um in Houston. Uh Culinary Institute of America was not in the price range for me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let's, let's see what what are some other options and I really loved it, and I and I stuck with it because for the first time in my life, it felt like I was good at something where I wasn't trying to be good at it. It was mm-hmm. just like exciting for me to to go to class and learn about stocks, learn about uh, how to improve on my knife skills. So that's that was like something I was really lucky to pick up on without even knowing because school was not doing that for me ever.
1: You know, it's interesting because you you go to culinary school, and then I know you went to Europe to cook for a bit, and things have changed over the years, but I, I have the feeling that when you were in culinary school, it wasn't notoriously focused on like European type of cooking. It wasn't very global as it's gotten more. Did you bring anything from your background or anything that you grew up with, or at least a mindset or kept that back in mind when you were cooking at culinary school or in Europe that said, this is great, but I'm going to apply it to, to what I know?
5: I think uh, at, at that time, uh, the, the culinary school program, it was still really focused on um, the European style of cooking. Yeah. And it was about to start. It, we were starting to get classes on like Latin America, you know, Cuisines of the World and all these things. But for me, culinary school was everything was so new because I didn't grow up cooking. Mm. But it was like... So interesting everything was just extremely new it was like honeymoon phase to the max uh day after day so i really enjoyed that um and and because i noticed that i was good i i i was a little cocky then i went to europe and i just backpacked through through europe and 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 that's where like my ego got checked in because uh when i was cooking i, I realized that It's just in America that, like, a lot of people don't know how to cook for themselves. You know, in Europe, like, when I was backpacking, I realized that the Italian guys that were staying in Barcelona at the hostel were making outstanding pasta from scratch. And, like, they were not chefs, and I was. So that was like, that was like a big reality shock for me. I was like, oh, turns out I'm not God's gift to cooking. Uh, This is just like how the the rest of the world operates and that's totally normal uh so that was a big big thing for me to realize um at a young age where it was like a little bit of like calm down for me you are good but like the rest of the
1: world knows how to cook and they're they they do not need to be chefs yeah could you imagine yeah. coming back home and being like grandma, you know you want to make a stock this way and they'd be like get out of my kitchen exactly get, yeah um all right let's take a quick musical break and uh when we come back i want to talk about your turn. To Texas and Austin um, about that, that era, which I like to think of like the maybe like the first generation of like the new era of dining in, in that town, and then the opening of your restaurants and some of the accolades that went with it. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.
3: Don't you hear the water? Rolling down, the mining, rolling down the mountain, Rolling down the mountain and running to the sea Can't you feel my heartbeat Steady as a drum, babe Steady as a drum, babe I'm crawling to me oh, 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 how time moves slow And fill it in, fill it in your soul Let me hear you go Oh, oh, oh. Thank you.
1: back to snacky tunes we're with our good friend for mean and you come back from europe your ego has been checked but you've also learned a lot and you could go back to anywhere in the u.s and you choose to go back to austin and i think you come back to austin at a pretty interesting time um, when the city was really starting to evolve into the the dining and culinary community is today and you worked at some great spots barley swine lacandesa laundrette what was the scene like then and what made you want to go back to austin at that time
5: you know i could have gone anywhere in the world and i chose to do austin right i think the, the yeah. little funny background on that is uh the reason why i came to austin was uh before i left to europe i said to myself if i come back with money it's better it's time that i could have spent more in in europe so i was like i came back decidedly with like no no money left over and i did just that and the reason why i came here is because uh my sister was living in austin at the time and i needed a place to stay um so it was just like a magical time and place like you said in austin uh 2009 la condessa um was maybe a year year and a half old and austin was very different back then there was like you know, I would say between five, eight restaurants that were notable of, of, of what was happening in the city. Barley's one was definitely one of them. Uchi was the place to, mm-hmm. to be at. Mm-hmm. You still had to the stage there uh, for, for a good amount of time before you would get hired. Uh, Contigo was another one. Foreign Domestic was opening. So oh, it, yeah. was, it was the beginning of of you could see some of the big city uh, chefs that were coming to Austin to pursue having a backyard and a little bit of a of a better balance in life. Um, so I chose to to go to Condesa because I had been cooking, I want to say maybe like five, six years of that professionally. And I never cooked Mexican food. And I thought I knew everything there was about Mexican food. Um, and I just applied to Condesa knowing that it was going to be like or thinking that it was going to be a super easy job to have because it was like the ingredients that I knew and I quickly realized that I wasn't. Um, but I loved being there because it showed me the true way of having the, the soul and heart of a grandmother cooking Mexican food, but with the technique and the expertise of a chef. that mm. has been shown. And, and it brought everything together for me where I was excited and rediscovering my cuisine um through the lens of Rene ortiz who is an incredible chevy has an amazing mm-hmm. palette mm-hmm. and and i and i spent a good amount of time there uh i climbed through the ranks i made a really good um lasting friendships uh from that place and then after that i um i went to Uchico for a little bit i said let's let's switch it up let's learn something yeah. completely different uh in, in the meantime too i was uh i was dodging at barley swan barley swan was a place that I always wanted to work. I would uh, go there on my days off to Staj. But it was like, I, I always say that Bryce Gilmore is is yeah. truly the chef that taught Austin how to cook and how to, most importantly, source. He started from a trailer where it was truly farm-to-trailer cooking. And not a lot of people were doing that. You would see restaurants that were like getting some ingredients um, to run the restaurants with, with local farmers. But Bryce was the guy that was like, we only have Texas ingredients. And, and it was also a time and in, in place where um, restaurants of, of of like they didn't have to be so big. They didn't have to have, you know, over a yeah. hundred seats. And you were starting to see chefs not where chefs goes, and the kitchens were starting to be open. And you would see on menus substitutions politely decline. Uh, and you would yeah. see communal yeah. seating, right? And then yeah. it, it was also the first place where you would see on a menu where um kitchen for the beer is one dollar so it was it was a very
1: i I tipped quite a few kitchen beers in my day at barley swine totally and
5: it was like it was it was there was something magical happening yeah and it was so magical that nobody would ever quit so the best thing you could do is go there and and ask them to stash for free um once a week or as, as often as you could um and and that was just a magical time in austin where it it truly like I, I remember the the first time I had at Barley's one, I was like, "We all get broccoli, knee. Like, how is he turning into like this beautiful thing?" And I'm just right. like grilling it and putting, you know, like Mexican romesco on top of it at, at La Condesa. I was like, it, "He really showed Austin what you can really do um, if you if you like just get into it." And, and that was a magical time and place. And I think he really like developed a lot of what Austin is like now
1: yeah i mean he really embraced um texas ingredients and culture through his own lens um and i know that there's around this time where you started thinking about like your own lens and what's it mean to have your own restaurant and you know look i've i've poured enough queso into my body for a lifetime and tex-mex is obviously really big in austin and around town but what was the city's relationship with more authentic more regional me- mexican food was it even really popular or was it just some a couple of like the older maybe not as popular restaurants with like the mainstream dining community um you know could it even be an option to open up a new sort of uh type of dining experience in austin i mean at that point in regards to like
5: mexican food yeah it was it you said it best it was like it I don't think suerte would have survived if we would open you know around that time um I think also that was also when when a lot of more people were putting attention to us but not as much as they are now um and and I think the the time it really changed it was when people starting to um to believe in in what was happening and it also like I think to me the biggest thing in, in Mexican food is the masa and that is like the canvas of what a great Mexican restaurant can be. um Another time, there was only a few places that were doing it, and not a lot of them uh, were were getting a lot of recognition. fonda San Miguel has been doing it for such a long
1: time. I mean, that's the one that came to mind. Well, I don't want to say like no one was doing it because they're legendary, but it's yeah. it's a different they're type of
5: recognition. You know, yeah. they were still just looked at it like you know okay, Mexican restaurant? And Laranco was also doing it way before uh Suerte opened and 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 it wasn't just getting that national acclamation just yet. Uh obviously like she's doing she's doing really good. She has a uh, James Beard now. Um so like there there's a lot of more appreciation too. I think Mexican food was not what it was now back then too. You know, if I were to pinpoint a a a time where I, I saw nationally Mexican food getting a lot of recognition, I would take it back to where uh, when Rene Recepi decided to do a pop up in Mexico, yeah, I think that really that that really made everybody look towards Mexico and be like, "Why is uh, yeah. this guy so interested in what's happening over there?" Right, and I'm like, man, I I I love Mexican food. I think it's like the most exciting. It rivals, you know, the
1: best sauces that you would find in fresh cooking, like a mole. Look at like, any mole. Look at any grandma's mole. Is so complicated. Exactly. And no, no disrespect to the mother sauces. Or Italian sauces, but they are not as, at times, depending. Again, I don't want to get in trouble here, but like they're not as rich or as complex as something you could find at, you know, at pool holes, you know, I don't know what day it's on, eight 2000 day mole at this point. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, a, it's, I'm glad it got its right uh, and its respect. I, I wish it had come a little earlier than a, a, a white chef from, from Copenhagen. Uh, Copenhagen coming over, but. You know, look, people need uh, people. Sometimes just need their eyes pointed in the right direction, and um, and I think that's that was a, a really good catalyst that I think started yeah. to
5: to just like point people in the right direction. You know, because sometimes you need that, and it's I think that's like uh, a little bit sad about Mexican food is like we need we need a, a, a
1: white guy from um, from Europe to come and tell us that our food is great. You know? Yeah. But he came over and then he sort of got out of the way and he moved yeah. over to, you know, to other countries. Um, so with that catalyst, with that change, with that openness, with like the maturing of the Austin dining machine, uh, machine and, and scene itself, like when did Suerte first become an idea for you? And when did you think it could actually be a restaurant that could survive, that could actually have a chance of, of having a place um, as a restaurant?
5: Oh man, that that's a funny uh thing because uh, suerte, I I think we started talking about it in late 2016, mm. 2017. Wow, restaurants usually take shy of two years from like from when you think about them to when they actually open. We opened in March of 2018, and suerte, um, there was there was not a lot of restaurants like it at the time. Um, it was also the first time where myself was going to be the executive chef i was not somebody's uh right hand i was not a shadow it was it was it was exciting but it was also intimidating at the time intimidating in the way that it was just a kid you know that had been the right hand to uh some chefs that were known in in in, in the austin industry uh, that was partnering up with this jewish guy from boston that had a dream about making great tortillas right That's so we cool. had a lot of um a lot of things to i don't know if prove is the right word but we we didn't have the recognition that we have now so it was a little bit scary to open a restaurant as big as Swart there was and and talk about like mexican food in a in a completely different way then where every time i talked about it i had to like explain what nick civilization was to everybody right. and explain to them right. why we were going to do that and 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 why it mattered right and then be like yeah it's not going to be like beans and rice for, for the people that didn't know our backgrounds, right? Because in the, in the, in the industry, like, people, people knew who we were and people had tried our food here and there. But, like, you make a business out of new customers, right? And a lot of those new customers mm-hmm. are not in the restaurant industry. So right. that was a little bit of, like, how we were thinking about. And, and then you have the stress of, like, you started talking about this thing almost two years ago and you started even questioning yourself, like, is this still relevant? Are people going to want to come in and eat this? Right. right? it's it's like am I even excited to do it you know and and it turns out like yes all those things are 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 happening because you believe in the project but like after talking about it and 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 selling it for so many days before you actually even get to sell a tortilla it's like it it can be uh it can be a mindfuck you know for lack of better terms (laughs) yeah Uh,
1: yeah Yeah. it's long enough to live in like your own mind and your own head and talk to people and it's and they go like, "All right, this has to be a business at some point." Exactly. So um,
5: we opened Suerte, and and we were lucky enough to get a a good amount of uh, national and local acclamations to come and actually enjoy what we were doing. Uh, it was such a magical point in time because um, it was it was a lot of me still in the kitchen, the day to day running it, you know. Um, and it felt really nice to like at that time we didn't have like fancy pr we didn't know that writers were coming in like sure it was just a true restaurant that was like run with passion and and we were doing our best regardless of who was coming in and and we happened to do it right for the people that came in that we had no idea that were gonna write about us right so that was something special and then to answer your your funny your question it's the moment where it felt like okay we got this we're doing this right yeah yeah, yeah. um my, my business partner, Sam Hellman Mass, um, who had a background in, in cooking, too, um, he got married in uh, February of 2020. And mm-hmm. it was it was fireworks, man. It was like, you know, he he was celebrating, you know, love in Oaxaca, got married. Mm-hmm. Um, we were like, man, this is like this is his life, right? This is what life is all about. Like life is smiling at us, like celebrating his his marriage. The restaurant was doing good. We both of us were like in Mexico, you know, taking time away. I love um, it. We come back and a few weeks later, we all know what happened. Right. Because it we was late when he got married. So he went on honeymoon. Uh, he came back and and I think after a week of him coming back from his honeymoon, we closed the restaurant for a month. Right. Um, wow. So it was like that's 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 restaurants. Right. That's roller coasters. And and I think it's like, you know, restaurants are are. You always have to have a little bit of luck, you know, even if if you do everything right, sometimes the world will tell you that it was not the right time. And and then that happens. Right. But now we're at a place where like we are stronger than ever. I feel like Swartz is the best food it's ever had. And it's a little bit of because I'm 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 out of the way. I'm letting the people that are focusing Mm -hmm. on just that do their roles and steering the ship right i i always describe it as like the chef of the cuisines are the pilots are the ones that are steering the 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 airplane and i'm the traffic control that is guiding them i'm like i need you to land here i need you to go here this is where sure, yeah yeah but they are the ones that are in charge because they're doing it on the day-to-day and and i used to be sad about me not being able to do that but now Uh, I'm happy to see them grow and, and, and flight the plane and, and me just being their ear and like coach them to, to go where we need to go.
1: Yeah. I mean, having that mentality is probably what allowed you to open up Este, your second restaurant, being able to let go a little bit, but it's interesting because Suerte was pre-pandemic Este was post-pandemic. They're both super successful. They've both gotten a ton of accolades, um, how have you been able to and i understand like the work balance but like having the restaurants exist be their own identity hit the same same similar highs for both restaurants opening up in two completely different culinary worlds like it's it's the pre and after um did you do anything different for number two or or was it sort of like you just took what worked and knew what you had to refine? I, I think we did a little bit of the similar
5: things that we did at Suerte when we opened, but we also learned a lot from when we opened Suerte. Mm. And and when we opened ESSA 2, you know, we were supposed to start construction on that on on March of 2020. Um, and obviously that got delayed by a full year. So that was honestly like a, a silver lining for us, for me, because... Mm it gave me an extra year to truly focus on what I wanted that restaurant to be like and how to mm. execute it and how to go about it. So it felt like versus when we opened Suerte, where it was like, man, we like nervous. I don't, I don't know. You know, like, I'm am like, am, are people going to still be excited? Where Este was like, I had such a clear vision of what that restaurant was going to taste like, was going to feel like mm-hmm. and how it was going to mm-hmm. run. That when we opened, it was it, it it felt like we had been open for a long time. It was also really uh, different than Suerte because at Suerte, everybody started on the same day, right? And and the the person that was working the grill had don't have never worked the grill there, and I had never expert in that restaurant before, and I had never worked with the people that I worked there in that environment. And and when we opened Este, I took not not everybody that was a key player at suerte because i i didn't want to open two restaurants at the same time sure i took some of the people that were key players that knew how i communicated in the kitchen knew the standard so it, it was like we already knew how to get the like the awkwardness of opening a new restaurant when you know anybody and it felt like we had a a, a head start To where when he actually opened it was just like we were playing a restaurant. We we were Mm. fixing the things that we were anticipating that we're gonna go right, and and it was like just figuring out how to like fine tune it right. So it was like at that point it was more of me like rather than being the guy playing the the guitar and singing the song, I was the producer where I was like okay, give me a little bit more bass, give me a little bit um, Mm. more drums in this one, yeah, no, because a lot of the 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 things that we went through at suerte, we only went through once and 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 we have a lot of people that have been since day one at suerte with us or, or a few years into that like, you know, if we didn't open este, I wouldn't expect them to still work with us because it's like you what are you gonna learn here for being five years? You know, you gotta pursue your own thing. But
1: yeah, in yeah. years
5: of, at suerte, like let's open a new restaurant. And let's have a different role for you. And and in that same way too, it also opened up new roles for the people that were ready to keep growing at suerte. So that was like something
1: yeah. super
4: important.
1: did not want to open two restaurants at once. Right. You you want to evolve and um you know the one thing though that I feel that does time together is when you when you walk into them like the designs of the restaurant it feels like they're talking to each other, the vibes and the music all feels like it's coming from I don't want to just say your point of view but from like a singular point of view that that ties them together. Um Outside of the food and the drinks and things like that, what was what was the message? What was the mission you wanted to say with the design, with the vibe, with the music in both the restaurants and, and Bartotti as well? I think, like with with all the restaurants, I always like to have a, a point of view
5: where you know we work with really good people in our team. You know, uh, Matt Garcia, who's our architect at all the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the restaurants, um, he met Sam, our, our business partner playing basketball, right? And he happens to be, like, a really uh, amazing local architect that doesn't really do restaurants. He mostly does houses. Um, Ooh, and that and, explains and, a lot. That explains and, a lot, actually, yeah. Do something like that. It was like, you know, we wanted to create a restaurant that it's, like, suerte is first language, it's English, but it's very fluent in Spanish. You mm-hmm. know, este is, is the same. They're both. In, in Austin, Texas, they are – from the mind of you know myself and the team and sam and, and Matt, but um we take inspiration by a lot of the places that we like to visit in in other parts of the world you know and, and for for this case mostly being mexico uh, but we never want to recreate something just because we saw it over there because i think that's where you lose a little bit of the soul so for me it was like having something that's exciting for people to be like oh this is suerte you know it's it's a modern mexican restaurant that it's in austin and you see a little bit of the the notes from mexico but it's not just like a mexican restaurant in austin it's a yeah. it's a restaurant in austin that happens to be mexican and, and este tells that same story it's a little bit of taking those notes from suerte but it's a little bit older you know maybe you take your friends to to suerte for a birthday celebration, but you know you go to este for uh, celebrating engagement, right? It's like it's it's a little bit of like the the older sister to suerte that it still has that same soul and vibe, but maybe just a little bit like
2: the
1: the years have been a little bit you know nicer to <laughs> sure to do that once. sure sure no I, I get that. Um, before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about your work outside of the restaurant in the Austin community, because you're pretty involved um, in different projects and different outreach and things like that. Look, you have a lot on your plate. You know, you have three spots. You you know, you travel, you're part of festivals, you do things like that. Why be involved with the community? What's it mean to you to give back? And how is it important? How does it all tie with the restaurants and the bar?
5: I mean, I think that's, that's- – it's it's very natural to me to to make that a part of um, what we do. Not just myself, but it's it's like we are restaurants in Austin. We're not chains that are coming from somewhere else to like mm. just try to make money, right? So if we take care of the community, like that's who takes care of us, and and also like if we take care of the staff that works in our restaurants, like. They're going to take care of our customers and their customers are part of the community that are supporting us and and it's just like kind of like full circle to me yeah. I think yeah. that was one of the biggest things that I came from from the, with with the pandemic that I only want to do the things that I believe in and support to make sure that the community keeps um, growing and evolving and, and taking care of each other because I think that's that's just the way it should be you know. It's like when you're when you're in when you're in school when you're a little kid, like they show you how everything works, and then you, yeah, uh, then you grow up and you kind of like forget about it, and and you don't do those things. But now that I have the microphone, uh, I'm just happy to to be involved with the things that I believe in and that I want to be a part of. To also set the example for the people that are in my kitchen right now, cooking that are eventually going to become chefs, and and setting the standard mm. for them on how to act and the responsibility that comes with being a chef and owning a
1: restaurant. It's amazing. Well, I can't say congratulations enough. I can't wait to come back down to Austin to eat with you. If people want to check out the restaurants or just see what you're up to from afar, where can they go? How can they see what you're what you're doing?
5: They they can check us out online. Everybody, you know, uh, is on Instagram, so you can check out Suerte ATX. Uh, you can check out Este ATX, and you can check out Bartotti uh, ATX as well. You'll see when we're open, you see what we're up to. If you want to see a little bit of what I'm, I'm doing on my day-to-day, uh, Chief Nunez is my Instagram. You'll see a little bit of uh, behind the scenes in all the restaurants and and just things that I
1: might be doing to uh, an events or travel and whatnot. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, so good to sit down and chat with you. Happy to kick the year off with you. Appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. We have a song from the archives and then a live performance here on HRN.
0: Pass a
4: message to you when you're a lover.
6: Like a dirty bouquet with your
4: wine
3: I will tie to
4: my body some roses
3: I will fly till I get you I go, I go, I go, I go along. Have you found a place that's deeper than the corners of your mind to settle down? Missing you Are you thinking of me now? Methuselah I'm a passenger I go, I go, I go, I go, I go Have you found a place that's deeper than the corners of mine?
2: Want to cultivate farms and food systems that nourish, heal, and empower? Register now for PASA's 2024 Sustainable Agriculture Conference. Discover resources, services, and products at our expansive trade show, and explore more than 70 educational sessions on climate-smart practices, food justice, soil health, and more. Featuring a dynamic lineup of speakers, including Reginaldo Hasle Haslemarroquin, farmer and founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance and CEO of Tree Range Farms, And Reverend Dr. Heber M. Brown III, pastor, community organizer, and founder of the Black Church Food Security Network. Find your community at PASA's 33rd Annual Conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on February 8th through 10th. Register now at pasafarming.org slash hrn2024. That's P-A-S-A farming.org slash hrn2024.
1: Welcome back. We got Native Son live here in studio on Snacky Tunes. You guys want to go around and introduce yourselves?
7: How's it going? My name is Danny Gomez, and I play
6: guitar and sing in Native Son. What's up? I'm Jake. I play guitar. I'm Alexis. I play drums. I am Mauricio. I play bass.
1: Danny, you met Jake in Florida, right?
7: Yeah, we've probably (laughs) known each other since we were about, I want to say, like 10 or 9.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Did you start playing music then, or were you just kind of...
7: Admirers, yeah, no, we, we, yeah, we, we didn't really. I wasn't even playing guitar back then. Um, I, just,
8: play, I played guitar back then, but he's, not, he's, not with. He's David. the prodigy
7: with that. Yeah,
8: <laughs> I've played guitar for ever since about that time is when it started.
1: Really? What were some of your early tunes? What were some of the bands you played or covered first, or all original? Prodigy just. Music came out of you like a Water no out of a way. well
8: I think like one of the first band Oh the first band ever Like made me want to play guitar Was Green Day And then I went straight into Van Halen
1: Just so we have a reference point Which Green Day record? Nah. I mean
8: So American Idiot came out at that time Okay And then I went straight back to Dookie and Insomniac and Okay I was like, fair enough The, the yeah. three chord records I mean I learned power chords from that band
1: Well I mean it's interesting I saw them play over the summer And they're like for you old school fans it was dookie i was like i remember when old school was their eps and not not dookie so just getting a solid reference point Oh man. so you guys met in florida and then you reconnected in new york
7: yeah that's right yeah. uh
1: how did you was it a bar a venue was it a, you um know, on the train
7: yeah, i think it was my birthday to be honest with you um we yeah we we actually went out to max fish that night with some friends um a mutual friend of uh of ours who i mean i didn't even
8: i hadn't spoken to danny ever since middle school i didn't know he was out here or anything like that i think jake Uh, had seen me play live a couple times maybe yeah, yeah yeah i did i did see acid dad um this same mutual friend had brought me i was like oh we got a bunch of friends from florida that are uh that are all hanging out come chill and like so i went and saw his old band and then same sort of situation. He was like, "Oh, it's our, one of our friends from Florida's birthday. Like, you should come hang out with everybody. Remember everybody from middle school."
1: It was me. <laughs>
4: so it turned out it
1: was uh, it was old D Gomez. When did you start percolating ideas to have a band? An a dad, former Snacky Tunes guest. Good to see you again, as okay. always. When did you start to put together the ideas for Native Son?
7: Uh, probably, I want to say last uh, November, December. You know, I had a you know a lot of songs that I wanted you know to play. Um, So we kind of started, I started demoing that and working on that and that's, you know, around the time I, you know, I sent them to Jake, you know, because he'd always been the best guitarist I knew growing up. And I was like, you know, we seem to be into the same stuff. So it's, we grew up together. I feel like we know who we are as individuals. This seems like the right combo. So then we started kind of recording and then. He, I used to live, you know, we're college best friends and we used to live together and he didn't know how to play drums and I would force him. So Who are you pointing to? I'm pointing to Alexis over there, (laughs) the beautiful he. Um, So I would force him to play drums and he like naturally always picked it up. And then, you know, it seemed natural and we were like, you know what? You're going to play drums either like it or not.
1: Did did you feel that it was natural picking up drums? You're in a very safe space here. Did they force (laughs) you? Did they coerce you? No, no, it was cool. Um,
6: Because when we lived together, he would always be writing songs. And there was a drum set at my house that we were storing for a friend. And he's like, just hop on there. And then I would do it. And we kind of stopped doing that. And then when he started writing his own stuff for Native Son, he asked me to do it again. And it just kind of happened. It just kind of forced me to do
1: it. Do you feel like you're still learning, like, rudimentary drum stuff?
6: Yeah, yeah. What's a rudiment? I don't even know. He doesn't (laughs) play
7: it. And then he moved from Mexico, from Monterey to to to? Mo. I'm pointing to Mo, last member.
8: Mo El Papi Martinez.
7: He moved here about a year and a half ago um, to try to do music, you know, try to do the hustle. And we, um, you know, through a mutual friend, also kind of connected us. And here we are, as he says.
6: Yeah, I came here just to the music. I finished college and came here. And you spent like it spent almost, you know? almost yeah. a year without yeah. a band, just like trying to... I, I mean, I jammed with people, but it never worked out right? Like completely. And between, because of a friend of us, I just texted Gomez, like, hey, let's play. And he was like, yeah, I, we, I know you're a guitar player, but we need a bass. <laughs> and I'm like, no worries, see you in two days. I went to buy a bass next day, and I didn't need for a week, but... I had a band.
1: <laughs> what was the the year that you were here without a band? Like where were you playing? What were you doing?
6: I was I, I didn't play actually live, never. I I'm still doing this E. P. by myself, acoustic, but I'm working on it and just on and off all the time. But I I'm I was just seeing bands and meeting people and like it's kinda hard, you know. I didn't knew almost anyone. Just like almost being by myself and yeah.
1: What was it about New York that that drew you here? Why here? Almost any other city, or what was missing in Monterey that that you thought was in New York?
6: I mean, Mexico is like so different. The scene and the the music culture is like totally a different world. So I had like, had lots of bands in, back in Mexico, but it never really like worked out completely. And I was I don't know the Ramones I'm from New York, so <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah,
7: I came because of Lou Reed. Uh, like, uh,
1: I mean, those are both excellent answers. Exactly. And for the music that you were writing for this, what made it different than Acid Dad, or what did you think that you could accomplish with Native Son that you weren't doing with Acid Dad?
7: Um, you know, I think this was all me and my vision and direction. Um, I think um, just, you know, certain sincerity. It's kind of the music I'm working on now that, um, you know, fits more who I am and kind of more the vision I have for music and kind of the world freedom
1: when did you feel the four of you gelled as a band
7: first instantly. practice the first <laughs> practice of- oh, it was actually the, the 420 first, pra- first practice was 420 420
6: and I met these guys at first practice yeah, like no. I didn't even knew them personally I remember I said hit
7: this man or you're out <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> like, go back uh, to another year
1: in the wild we <laughs> you're gonna regret buying that base <laughs> I remember
7: so, walking up to the
8: practice base and just I, I thought it was you I recognized you from your mustache oh yeah <laughs> I was like are you are you Mauricio he goes oh yes mm-hmm. So from what,
1: there on what was, what was the feeling or I mean you all answered at the same time what, what was it about that practice where you looked at each other that you didn't experience and with other
6: bands or projects i mean i just saw like like real people trying to do like real music you know like not trying too hard it's interesting i feel like we "Ah." it's the first
7: time where we've actually like think as one mind and where i'm gonna go next even someone like alexis knows where that's gonna be you know what i mean and it's as you said he's still learning and he's got the vision that where my brain would jump to next, the same way Jake does, knows how to put the sprinkles on what's missing, you know. the same way that Mo brings his, his, his swagger and, and dance moves to the floor. For me, it, it, was, it was really simply obvious
8: when we all played together. I mean, I grew up, when I was first playing guitar, like we were just talking earlier, I played guitar and my little brother played drums. So growing up playing music, it was just me and my brother. Then like when I sort of grew up, went to high school... I started playing with friends, and there was friendship in those bands, but that was that was unique from playing with someone who is like family, like a brother. On that first practice with the four of us, that was the first and only time that I felt brotherhood, mm. other than playing with my true brother.
1: Do you think it's because you grew up listening to the same bands, you have the same reference points, or where do you think that it comes from? And, you don't, and there's no way to define it down to a science, because that's <laughs> yeah. impossible, Damn. but where do you think it might lead from?
7: I think that's the best part about it. It's kind of spiritual. Well, with
1: that, let's hear a song. What are you going to play for us first?
7: This is the first song we ever put out. It's called Palindrome. It's about uh, anxiety and paranoia in the city.
4: Them, you've been running all right now, been Trying to get it all inside your brain now. It's a reflection. Well, say this is pleasure, you have got the door. And disposition that you've got you gotta let it all out it's not a problem it's not a problem.
1: was on the Glassnote note records noteworthy one comp we also had grim streaker and Thick in here earlier oh, sweet. how did nice. that come about how did you get on the comp what's the story um,
7: so so we we played uh Northside fest i think it was like our actual first real show um at our wicked lady and one of the a&r people for glass note was at the show and um she heard us play this song actually um which we hadn't recorded for the ep at the moment so she was like you guys should record that song, and we'd love to have you on the, you know. So we rushed in in a week and about, and did two songs off the EP in that week just to kind of capitalize on things. And, uh, yeah, those yeah. were the, you know, that got put out right away, like, a few weeks
8: after that. We played the show, and I yeah. think the song, like, the songs were due for the Noteworthy Project, like, a week and a half later.
7: I think they listened to an yeah. iPhone demo of ours from our practice space in, like, the one office, and we're like, all right, yeah, they recorded for real.
3: Yeah. We'll get them lost. <laughs>
1: And did you have to go, did they record it for you? Do you have to go, you're like, yeah, we'll be back. In a, yeah, we're just finishing it up. And you're like, we need to find a studio. They should okay. have. Yeah. Uh, they should have, <laughs> but they did not.
7: <laughs>
3: yeah.
8: We just went back to the studio. We were recording our EP at, and just said, we need to do another song in two days. And we did it in two days.
1: Great. Can we hear another song? Yeah, sure. What are you going to play for us?
7: Uh, this next song is called Sister.
1: Here we go. Live on Snacky Tunes.
7: Uh, I'd like to dedicate this song to Don Pedro's. This song is about, uh, you know, some of the, the crazy individuals that used to inhabit that bar.
4: Around the corner That's where I'll be Trying to find what I don't need The girls are shut in On down the street Heaven was calling
1: 17th, which as of this time was two days ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Songs born from love and hate. Where'd the title come from?
7: Uh, Leonard Cohen.
1: <laughs> uh, well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so tell me about it. How was the recording process? Where did the genesis from the songs come from? What were you trying to tell with this EP?
7: Well, you want to start with this one?
8: Yeah, I mean, the songs came together over a span of time, and I think they, they, were, they were born... And then evolved as our friendship and the soon-to-be brotherhood evolved. Um, from there, I mean, to go what I've heard Danny say before, and what I feel Danny say in the songs, these uh this collection of songs is for uh, the the listener and for the for the musician that doesn't have a voice that is heard in music today, especially bands coming out of New York City, bands coming out of Brooklyn. This isn't uh, for indie privileged white kids telling the story of oh man I didn't feel like getting out of bed today so I made a painting. This is a this is about the struggle of the common individual, all of these songs.
7: You know, it's uh you know the things have gotten pretty bland so you know I think you know this is just an introduction of all the worlds we could go into. But I think, you know, making a, a mission statement of, you know, trying to kinda bring you know rock and roll in a sense to back to the people you know the proletariat trying to bring it back to a certain you know kind of humbleness but at the same time sincerity you know which i i think has kind of been missing for a bit especially in a place like new york it's just you know so many bands just that you know you wonder is really the music the first thing on the list or is it like as geek says number 5 yeah. So
1: you oh, so you're calling out to question that if music really is the reason why they get out of bed in the morning, if art is really the reason they get out of bed as opposed to other things and then you're like, "And yeah, I'm an artist too."
7: You know, yeah, I mean, you know, as we said it, you know, you know, we're all clear examples of that, but you know, it's it's really, you know, do or die kind of thing, you know. He could be, you know, in Mexico having, you know, kind of, you know, more comfortable, you know, lifestyle, but risks it all and, you know, washes tables to be able to try to, you know, fight for his dream, which is something that you know some of our families you know as i'm a first generation immigrant you know lexus is second generation you know jake's from florida where it's like you know you live with that every day a- cuban. you know it's yeah, I'm an eighth you know C- I'm, an eighth
8: I'm an eighth cuban yeah, <laughs> yeah that's you true. know
7: so we're really you know doing something for the you know for the first time and i think that's what gives us kind of the fresh look it's not you know it's it's a sort of you know, by, by exploring new things that have never been done before in your family and your lineage, I think it opens up kind of a different world, where it's not the same recycled garbage. You know, it's a you know fresh outlook on things.
1: And you wrote the songs, but and you mentioned that they evolved as your brotherhood deepened. How did they evolve, both from the concept and the music to you know what parts did the rest of you bring to the the songs that, where they ended up?
8: Uh, well, you know, Danny brings to the table so much. He brings what I what I always see to be the skeleton, the framework, the general vibe, the mood, the attitude of the song, and then we color it in with our individual flavor. Mo brings, I mean, literally a flavor to every single song that I could never do myself. I add my personal influence, whether, like, let's, Danny's right, Sister is about Don Pedro and his experiences at that bar. I brought what I was feeling from the mood of that song, sort of angst and frustration at the loss of an establishment that meant so much to me. not wasn't necessarily my influence on that. wasn't necessarily Don Pedro specifically, but that same attitude and mood and feeling and emotion that I had when we were writing and recording that song is present in the song. And the same, yeah. the same goes for Alexis and, and Mo.
7: Yeah, like Alexis is, for example, you know, I always make fun of him and, you know, <laughs> I, say, I say, you know, he does my favorite drummer, for example, is like Charlie Watts from The Stones. He knows it's nothing complicated, it's just tasteful when you have to be. And Alexis, you know, by, you know, recently getting into things, he he doesn't overdo things but instead keeps the beat and keeps it, you know, keeps the groove going and then does the tasteful, you know, simple things when they gotta be done. So, you know, all those parts combined, you know, seem to have worked out.
1: And you guys been playing around City just a little bit, babies.
7: Yeah, about I would say Rough since, trade. since June. <laughs>
1: soon uh where you guys uh, have shows coming up next
7: uh we've got one show left for the end of the year so we played on thursday uh with Dreamwife, wife um who are coming over from the uk and then we we're playing in um on december 10th with this band called qty at babies all right well. love
1: it love babies yeah love those guys yeah good, those guys. Guys. good guys
7: but uh but yeah no we're uh we're starting to get you know some busy stuff going on for early next year
1: anything you can share or just leave it to mystery
7: Leave it. I'll leave it Uh, to the new year mystery. Okay.
1: (laughs) Well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song. But where can people find you? Get the EP? Hit you up?
7: Everywhere that you can get music, it is up now. And you know, to leave you with a little less mystery, where you know, our EP came out on Friday, and we started recording the next one on Saturday, yesterday. So
1: perfect. You know, perfect. Shout out to the label, Paper Cup.
7: Yeah. Shout out to Paper Cup, Windia Records, our label in South America. Magnus. Magnus, Eric. That boy. And actually, you know, on that note, we're gonna leave you with a song. That, you know, we have
3: been
1: working on. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks for tuning in. Big shout out to the Hot Ones and Complex Con. Thanks for uh, joining us. We're going to be off next week for Thanksgiving. And then we'll be back with two more episodes before the end of this season. Season nine of Snacky Tunes. Wow. I know. That's what I said. That's amazing.
7: Congrats to you.
1: (laughs) Thanks. Um, What's the name of the song you're going to take us out with?
7: Uh, This song is called 11th Street.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. We're off next week, and we'll see you in a couple weeks.
4: What mm-hmm. it goes <laughs>